I love the hymns that we sing so often, like the one we just sang. It was so good. It just it touches my heart. I get goosebumps so often when I sing some of these songs. Uh, I'm going to read the scripture in just a moment. It's from the Old Testament. I'm going to read for first, from 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 8 through 15. But may I encourage you to go back and read the whole book of 1 Samuel. There is so much that you will learn. In particular, I would encourage you to go back and read uh, chapter 13 that we're going to be dealing with now, starting with verse 8 and going through verse 15 and just touch us as we listen. I don't have anything to say, Father, but you have much to say, so please deal it with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm beginning to read with verse 8 of chapter 13. Saul, Saul was the first king of Israel, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel to come back, as he said he would. He instructed him earlier, but Samuel did not come back real fast during those seven days. I'll put that in there. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome Samuel. But Samuel said, what is this you have done and Saul replied, Well, I saw my men scattering from me, and you did not arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash, ready for battle. So I said, The Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. And Samuel exclaimed, How foolish! You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Just a, one more verse. Samuel then left Gilgal and went on his way, but the rest of the troops went with Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah in the land of Benjamin. When Saul counted the men left who were still with him, he found only 600 were left. And may God add his blessing to our reading and understanding of his holy and inspired and unchanging word. 
today. The title of the message today is A Man After God's Own Heart. I wonder who here this morning, men and women alike, would like to be called people after God's own heart. If you are a man or a woman this morning who would like to be considered a man or woman after God's own heart, raise your hand for a moment, would you please? Okay. Sounds, seems like most of us would say, yes, we would like to be men and women of God's own heart. Now, let me ask you this question. If you were to take a pencil out of your pocket, get a pencil out, and write down everything that you remember about King David, you would probably be surprised at best to what, at what you would be able to recall. But on the other hand, if you were to write down everything you can remember about the king that preceded him, the first king of Israel, his name was Saul, King Saul, the page you would have before you would probably be blank, or at least close to it, don't you think? Just think for a moment. What would you write down if you were trying to write what you remember about King Saul? Can anybody tell me how many chapters in God's unchanging word are given to the life of Abraham? I'll give you a clue. In fact, I'll tell you there are 14 chapters given to the life of Abraham. And to the life of his grandson Jacob, 11 Chapters are given. His grandson. And his name was changed from Jacob to what? Israel. And there were 14 chapters to Jacob's son, Joseph. And the story of the great prophet of God, Elijah, takes nine chapters. But I want you to fill in the blank for me if you can. How many chapters are given to the life of King David in the Bible? Anybody know without looking? Well, you can look, but it'll take you a while. How many chapters are given to the life of King David? I'll give you a hint. What? 30? Not quite enough. Not quite enough. No, not, not even hardly enough. There is a chapter of the Bible, Old and New Testament, given to the life of King David. That means each book of the Bible. How many books? 66 books in the Bible. And the life of King David is in each of those books. One chapter for each Bible book, and not only so, in the New Testament, can you get this? There are 59 references to King 
David in the New Testament. The Bible gives us more information about David's birth, about his childhood, about his teenage years, about his adult years, about his family life, about his reign as king, and even his literary skills than it does about anybody else in Scripture. And with so much space given to this man's life and the events that surrounded him, is it any surprise that he is called a man after God's own heart? Well, no, not really any surprise. When you think of David, though, you think, Generally speaking, you think of two big events. What do you think they are? His battle with the giant, Goliath, big man, Goliath, and how he fell into the sins, David fell into the sins of murder and adultery through his involvement with Bathsheba, the woman, within, without getting into a real study of his life, these are the events for which we most remember King David. You could say that David is a modern man in every sense of the word. His life is one that is usually unusually relevant for today. And Goliath, Goliath, the big guy, the big bad guy that he faced, was probably the smallest giant he had to, ever had to deal with. There are many other giants that David faced, much tougher than Goliath, much more deadly than Goliath. But to really begin to understand King David, you first got to encounter a man called Saul. King Saul, he preceded David as king, and he was the first king of Israel. Turn over in your Bible and look at 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. It says this, And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you, Saul, have not kept the Lord's command. You know, folks, think about this. The choices that you and I make in our lives determine the shape and the color of our lives. Think about that. The choices we make determine the shape and the color of our lives. Saul and David, the first two kings of Israel, they walked together to the same intersection in the Bible, to the same crossroad. And one went one way, but the other one went the other way. And so in the beginning, Saul and David were very much alike. Saul was from Gilgal. David was from, you know where David was from, of course. He was from, what? Bethlehem. So they had similar roots. 
but look at how their lives ended. Today we look back at King Saul as one who has been relegated to the dark places in biblical history. But, but what about King David? Look at all the Davids in the world today. We've got Davids in the... Any, any Davids in here today? Let me see your hand. Is there only one? They're all over the place, though, today. David. Hey, David. Glad you're here. That's King David Hotel in Jerusalem. It flies his flag in his honor to this very day. And Jews and Christians alike wear the Star of David. And it was of the lineage of King David that Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born. King Saul and King David were both appointed by God and were both anointed by God's prophet, whose name was, come on, the, the prophet who? Samuel. Samuel was one of the most godly men in the entire Bible. You read it, go back and read your Old Testament and learn about that man. Let me say this about David and Saul. They were, they were alike in their humility. Neither one of them ever had any inspiration to become a king. In fact, when the time came for Saul's coronation, he could not be found. Look at 1, look at 1 Samuel chapter 10. Verses 21 and 22, it tells us that Saul had hidden himself in the baggage and they had to drag him out to make him king. For God had touched his life and selected him to be Israel's first king. And then there was David. He was also humble. So humble that even after he had been anointed and had killed Goliath, he felt that he was unmarried, un, un, unworthy to marry King Saul's daughter. He said, I'm just a shepherd with a small flock of sheep. I'm not good enough to marry the king's daughter. That's what he said. So both Saul and David were physically strong men. The Bible says that Saul, Saul was a, a head taller than anybody else in Israel. He was a big man, and David was a big man, but he, not near as big as Saul. But David was a good-looking young man with all kinds of innate natural gifts. So both Saul and David, the first two kings of Israel, were so much alike at the beginning, and they were so different at the end. And 3,000 years later, we still study the life of King David. We stand in awe of that man. But tell me, can you think about it? What about Saul? What was the difference? Please, if you will, this morning consider for a moment the sins that they committed. David's sins, I got to tell you, huh, they were grossly, grossly, I get goosebumps even mentioning his sins. They were wicked. He was, David was an unbelievable sinner. On the other hand, Saul, Saul's sins, 
by comparison with David, don't even seem to be nearly as devastating. And it comes as a real supply prize to a lot of people that David is remembered as the man after God's own heart, while Saul is so disgraced. What happened? Do you know what happened? What made the difference? The difference was that when a crisis came, listen, Captain, to their life, one of them made the right step. The other made the wrong step. How so? Here's how. Saul would make a misstep. And instead of turning around and retracing his steps and trying to find God's will and God's plan and God's direction, he just blundered right out on down those same old steps into the basement of life. But David would make a misstep and stumble and fall. And then he would look to the Lord for direction. And with the Lord's help, he would climb again to the heights. So in thinking of this aspect of the lives of David and Saul, I, I'm reminded of the time that my family and I took a trip and traveled through Virginia and Washington, D.C. It was a time when actually I was still pastor at this church, and we went on that trip. And as we approached Washington, D.C., the capital of this country that we live in, uh, I was completely confused. Never been that way before. Didn't know where I was. I knew where I wanted to go. I thought I did. But I was completely confused as to where I was at the moment. And as we drove into D.C., we stopped at a red light, and there were red lights, you know, five or six across. And there was a car with a man in it uh, who was driving uh, with some other people, and he was right beside me. And I blew my horn and, and said, Sir, please excuse me. I'm new here. I've never been to D.C. before. Uh, I need to go to this particular place, and I told him where I wanted to go, and he knew exactly where I wanted to go. And he stopped his car. He said, follow me over here to the side road. So I followed him to a place where we could stop for a few moments, and he got out of his car, and he began to give me complete directions as to how to get to where we were going. But I want to tell you this, if I had been like Saul, at that particular time in my life, we'd probably be looking for a place to spend the night in a strange city we had never seen before. Saul's attitude was, I know where I'm going. I know, I know the directions I've been told before I got on this trip. I know, I know where to go. I'll just circle back over here and everything's going to be fine. And so Saul would take another step, and the situation would get worse and worse because he did not know how to ask for help. He just could not bring himself to do it. 
but David could. And David wouldn't make a mess of things. And then he would take all the pieces of his broken life and go to God and pray, Lord, here it is, please put it back together again. Now, I want you to notice how King David, how King Saul stumbled as he continued on downhill. His first misstep, Saul's first misstep was the misstep of impatience. Anybody ever had impatience? You ever been impatient? I, I'm seeing heads going that way. Oh, yeah. Have you really? You've been impatient. You read about it in 1 Samuel 13. Saul was lined up to fight the Philistines. Samuel had told him all about what, had, what they had to do and look forward to, and he was anxious to go to battle. So he gathered all of his troops together. And then there were the Philistines on the other side of the mountain. Not Now, now just proud, pr prior to this time, Samuel, the prophet of God, had told Saul, I will be gone for seven days, Saul. When I come back, we will build an altar, we'll offer the sacrifice, we'll offer the peace offering, we'll offer the burnt offering to the Lord, and then we will fight these godless Philistines. And after saying that to Saul, Samuel left on his journey. Now I want you to listen to what Saul did as Samuel went away that day. He said to himself, what a time for Samuel to leave us. He started to moan. And then the days of those seven days began to pass. And his troops got really restless. And they were ready to fight. And three days passed and four days passed. And some of Saul's troops began to desert. And Saul began to panic. And then there were five days of the seven. And then six days. And Saul was desperately trying to keep his troops together. And then, on the seventh day before Samuel arrived, Saul said to his men and to himself, I'll just put the word together and get everything ready so that when Samuel comes, we can get the offering underway. But as the day wore on, and still no Samuel. Saul said to himself, you know, I, I, I've got to do something. I'm just going to go ahead and offer the sacrifice. That was not for him to do. That was for Samuel. So he took the place of God's priest. And he offered the sacrifice himself as king. No. No, Saul. That's not for you. And just as he finished offering the sacrifice... What happened? In walks Samuel. And the fire was still smoldering. Now Samuel was a straightforward guy. And he never minced his words. And so he looked at King Saul, who held the power of life and death over him, and said, Saul, you are a fool. Because of your impatience, because you have presumed on God and His worship, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. 
your children will not be heirs to the throne. And from that day on, Saul operated on his own ingenuity, his own strength, his own power. You know why? Because the Spirit of God had departed from his life. Impatience was his first step downhill. And he never got over it. He never recovered. He just kept on going downhill in his own strength. And then Saul took the second step, the wrong step. It was what I like to call the step of partial obedience. Look at 1 Samuel 15. Because the Amalekites had not helped the Israelites when they had come out of Egypt, God commanded Saul and his army to kill them all. Every person, every animal, destroy everything that they had. So Saul started out and he went into battle. And the Bible says that, that after he returned, he went to the top, top of Mount Carmel and then back to Gilgal where he met Samuel. And his first statement when he saw Samuel was, quote, Samuel, I have been obedient to the command of God. That's what Saul said. I have destroyed everything of the Amalekites. And Samuel answered him, Is that so? Is that right? Then what is that bleeding that I hear? I got goosebumps when I say that. Isn't that the sound of oxen? What about all the animals? Where did all those animals come from? And Saul said, Oh, Samuel, you know, we called out the best animals. We brought them to make a sacrifice. We just kept them and brought them to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And no, oh, he said, By the way, we did keep the king of the Amalekites. And we save some of that gold because that's valuable property for the Lord. Saul always had an excuse when he was confronted with his sin. He could always explain his sin away. How about you and me? And he would ever shift the blame for what he had done right on down the line. And then Samuel gave Saul an extremely important principle, one that every one of us would do well to heed every day we live. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey God is better than sacrifice. Do you know what he meant when he said that? He said, said simply this, you can go to church. Here we are in church today. You can read the Bible. We, we, most of us probably read it sometimes. You can memorize Scripture. You can pray. You can recite the Ten Commandments. You can quote the book of John, but, but unless your life is a lifestyle of obedience to the will of God and the plan of God for you, all of your sacrifice means absolutely nothing. And your worship of God is worth, well, it's without significance. So if you go to church so that you will feel good, 
Is that why you go to church? Is that why I go to church? Just so we'll feel good? Or in hopes that by so doing we will have some little entree with God when a crisis comes, then our worship is meaningless. Sacrifice must come from an obedient and submissive heart and mind. And partial obedience in God's eyes is disobedience. Lord, I've almost done everything. Lord, I'm almost clean. I'm trying. Lord, I'm almost honest. At least, Lord, I'm better than most people I, I have to deal with. To obey is better than to sacrifice. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. And then Samuel took, excuse me, Saul took a third step down. 1 Samuel 15, verse 12. He built a monument, not to God, he built a monument to himself on the top of Mount Carmel. He had defeated the Malachites. So he was partially obedient to what God had told him to do, but then he built his own memorial. I've known men to build what seemed to me to be memorials to themselves and not to God. But it was so different with David. David, King David, never thought of a monument except to the Lord. In his heart, he wanted to build a temple for the Lord. And he thought about it, and he dreamed about it, and he prayed about it, and he agonized over that temple. But it was the only monument which ever interested him. Saul was also disloyal. He was disloyal to David. He was his, David was his best friend, his most effective soldier. And even to his own son, Jonathan, he was disloyal to his friends, to his family, his soldiers, his supporters. Saul was the kind of man who would do anything to build up Saul. Would you build up himself? Finally, he takes one last step down. It was the step of jealousy. Jealousy. You remember that, don't you? When David had killed Goliath and Saul was marching back from the battlefield, victorious over all the Philistines, you remember what happened? Read it again in 1 Samuel chapter 18. The people of Israel were singing a song at that time. Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. And that song became an instant hit all throughout the land of Egypt. It was, I would like to say it was number one on the Israeli hit parade. How many of you can remember the hit parade? If you're old enough, you may remember it. Everybody was humming the tune. Everybody was singing the words. And every time Saul heard it, he could not stand it. And from the time he heard that song of praise to David, you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to kill David. He wanted to kill him. Folks, tell me this morning, what did David have that 
Saul did not have. He had one essential quality. He knew what it was to repent. David knew the Lord. And the real difference between the two kings is so very clear. When David was confronted with his sin, David was a broken man. And in his brokenness, he confessed to God, O God, I'm nothing. I have sinned against you. I've done this evil in your sight. And yes, he had. But please, have mercy on me and forgive me and cleanse me. And God's response to David was, Okay, David, now get up. And let's put the pieces back together again. Get up and go again for me. And in my name, do you want the mind and heart of God in your life this morning, people? People who say we're the people of God. Do you really want the mind and heart of God? Do you really want His will for your life as you live it out in this world? Do you really want His blessing and His holiness? And is best for your life every day. Simple. Just go the way of King David. Just go the way of brokenness. Go the way that King Saul would not go. God has a plan for all of us. He's got a plan for your life and a plan for my life. And may we pray and seek to find that plan with all our heart. I had a plan for my life when I was 17. Thought I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted a career in the Navy. I said, Lord, please help me to get to go to Annapolis. I had a friend who was going to help me, help me get a, whatever you call it, to go to Annapolis. But God said no. And he sent one of his evangelists to my hometown where I went to church, not expecting to go to church that day at all. But I thought, you know, if they'll have church, or, or if they will have church on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and all these other days of the week, I'm curious as to what they're going to talk about. I thought all the only time they had church in this town was on Wednesday and on, on Sunday. So I said to my friend, let's go, let's go see what this guy has to say let's go Monday night so we went Monday night and God spoke to my heart and he said I don't want you to go into the Navy I want you to go into my ministry and so he called me to the ministry and I started preaching when I was 18 because that's what God wanted me to do and I tried my best to listen and he has led me through the years in so many countless ways. So I say to each of you this morning, God has a plan for your life. You may think you know what God wants you to do, but it just may not be what God wants you to do. Think about it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. 
in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will lead you in his path. And I've tried to do that through the years and it's made a big difference. I pray that you will do that too. And if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning as your personal Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to listen to the voice of God as he may be speaking to you right now, calling you to trust him, to put him first, to do what he wants you to do, to be his man, to be his woman. And he will lead you in the paths of righteousness and you will never regret it, not for a moment. If I can help anybody here today who is not sure that you know Jesus, but who is interested in finding out about how to know him. I'd be happy to stay here and talk to you until the church is empty this morning. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. I don't have anything to say, nothing at all, but God has so much to say to you. That night when I got saved at 17, I talked to a guy who helped me out for till after midnight. I don't plan to stay here till after midnight talking to you about God's plan for your life, but however long it takes, he's got his plan, and if you don't know it, let's talk about it before you leave. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you that you have your perfect plan for each of our lives. You know what you want us to do. Please deal with us where we are right now and make us what you want us to be for your glory, for your name's sake. We pray it earnestly in Jesus' blessed name. Amen and amen.